in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit one God Amen our Bible study tonight is from the Gospel of Saint Matthew chapter 15 this Gospel covers many points that are important to our spiritual life the first point is the danger of men's tradition and vain worship when we speak about tradition there is tradition with capital T and tradition with a small t tradition of capital T is the holy tradition that actually includes the holy scripture includes the teaching of the apostles includes the ecumenical council includes the liturgical texts and include the teaching of the early church fathers that what we mean by the holy tradition the with capital T but there is also tradition with a small t which means the teaching of men not the teaching of God which as we will explain today teaching of men which contradict the teaching of God some people force their own teaching more than the commandment of God so in the first part of this chapter the Lord explained the danger of the tradition of men and also the danger of the vain worship vain worship uh, he explained this uh, in response to the Pharisees accusation that his disciples were violating Jewish customs and tradition so he explained the difference between the tradition of God or the commandment of God and the teaching of the people after this we read in this chapter the story of a Gentile woman who was begging the Lord Jesus Christ to heal her daughter and we see the great faith of this woman in her pleading with the Lord Jesus Christ and the last part of the chapter is the story of the Lord Jesus Christ feeding 4,000 men other than women and children uh, as I told you religious leaders from Jerusalem took uh, the issue that the disciples of Jesus did not wash their hands before eating and of course they did not look at this from health point of view no it was part of their rituals to be cleansed from any defilement lest they have touched anything unclean that's why they need to wash their hand in ritualistic and ceremonial way before they eat and in response to this accusation the Lord actually explained 
what leads to defile iman. In this part, in the first 20 verses, we can actually see three scenes. The first scene, the dialogue between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Pharisees and the scribes. The second scene, the dialogue between the Lord Jesus Christ and the crowds. And the last scene, the dialogue or the discourse between the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples. Then the Lord went to Tyre and Sidon, where he healed a daughter of Canaanite woman, which actually is a Gentile, not from Israel. And then the Lord Jesus Christ went to the mountain near the Sea of Galilee, where he healed many people and also fed 4,000 with seven loaves and few fish. And after this, he sailed to Magdala and uh, stayed there. From verse 21 to verse 39, the second half of the chapter, uh, we see three narratives. And these three narratives are focusing on the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first one, the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ in healing the daughter of the Canaanite woman. Second one, when the Lord healed the great crowds that followed him to the mountain. And the third one, when he fed the multitude who stayed with him for three days without eating or drinking. So let's start verse by verse from the beginning of the chapter. Chapter 15. We read together, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Here St. Matthew is saying, these scribes and Pharisees were coming from Jerusalem. Of course, there were scribes and Pharisees throughout the land of Israel. But those who came from Jerusalem were more educated, were considered like the chiefs of the scribes and the Pharisees. They uh, were men of greatest learning and abilities. They were the more expert in the religion and the Jewish customs. Maybe they were sent by the Sanhedrin in order to accuse the Lord Jesus Christ or to hold him accountable as breaking the law of Moses. Or could be they just came by themselves uh, taking upon themselves this great authority to examine and correct, direct and advise if they see anything wrong. They had a question here to the Lord Jesus Christ about his disciples. And they accused the disciples 
of transgressing the law or the customs of the elders. And actually, it's very clear they did not accuse the disciples of transgressing the law of God, but the tradition of the elders. Which actually implies that for them, these traditions of the elders had more authority uh, exactly like the law of God. They put the teaching of men, of the elders, on the same level as the teaching of God and the law of God. What are the teachings of the elders? What actually were they referring to? They referring to some customs and law were added to the law of Moses, the covenant that God made with Moses, as interpretation for the law of Moses. So these traditions, the elders said it, and then actually they were kept in a book, Jewish book called Talmud. And St. Paul actually, in his letter to Galatians chapter 1 verse 14, when he explained or talked about his life before conversion to Christianity, as a Jewish, he said, I was very zealous regarding the teaching or the tradition of the elders. And what was here the uh, accusation itself? The accusation was regarding washing their hands before eating. And as I explained, the Orthodox Jews insisting on washing the hands before eating, not from healthy perspective, no, but lest they might have touched something ceremonially considered unclean. For example, in the Old Testament, if you touch a dead body, this will defile you. So, in order to be watchful, they need to wash their hands before eating, lest they touch something considered unclean, and then by eating, they will be defiled. So they were more concerned with the ritual purification to remove the defilement caused by contact with what is considered to them ritually unclean. So they were concerned with this ritual purification more than purifying their hearts. They were judging, they were prideful, but they did not actually think about the purification of the heart. They were concerned about the ritual purification. And many times actually, we see this here among us. We care more about the tradition of men more than actually the commandment of God. For example, among deacons, we see 
maybe deacons hurt the feeling of each others and speak negatively to each other. So actually they are breaking the commandment of God. And the justification here, they want just to keep the order or to keep certain rights. So here actually, by just focusing more on something from outside, by keeping just order or some rights, they may actually break the commandment of God, which is to love one another and not to hurt one another. We see this among also us as congregation. We may pay attention to little things. And while we are paying attention to little things, actually we hurt the feeling of one another. And we don't show love. We don't show endurance. We don't show patience. We accuse one another and we judge one another harshly. And maybe we justify this by keeping the order. That's why the Lord taught us very important lesson. Do you keep the tradition of men more or do you keep the commandment of God more? So this commandment of watch, washing the hands was purely traditional teaching of men and they kept it in a rigid way not in a flexible way they insisted upon observing it to the extent there is a story in the Jewish history about Rabbi his name Akib he was imprisoned and actually uh, they provided him with a little amount of water just to sustain his life and you can see here the rigidity he preferred to use this amount of water for his the ceremonial purification and washing his hand more than to drink it and quench his thirst and at the end he died from thirst that is how they were so unflexible and they focused on the letter more than the spirit this story actually when Saint Mark mentioned it he explained he explained why they insisted on washing their hands as you read in Mark chapter 7 verses 3 and 4 but why Saint Matthew did not explain it here because St. Matthew was writing to the Jews. So they know this tradition very well. That's why he didn't need to explain to them why the scribes and Pharisees needed to wash their hands. And instead of answering their question, because they asked the Lord Jesus Christ a question, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders. The Lord actually uh, showed them their hypocrisy and actually accused them by, of perverting the commandment of God and tra transgressing the law of God. Verses 3, 
He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. So God actually explained to them how they break the commandment of God by keeping the tradition of men. Uh, he actually referred to a certain tradition. The scribes and the Pharisees taught that instead of using my money to support my parents, if I say to my parents, my money will go to the temple after I die, or whatever I, I should support you with, I will give it to the temple, then he is released from his commitment to honor his father and mother, even if they are in need. So the Lord told them, one of the Ten Commandments, which actually is a clear commandment by God, is to honor your father and mother. And honoring them means to actually support them financially if they are in need. And to take care of them in their old age. And the Lord added also a punishment. According to the law, he who curses a father or mother should be killed. So this actually commandment is a very important commandment. And we need to pay attention to it, to honor our parents. But actually they put the tradition of men more important than this commandment. And I want you to notice that in verse uh, 5, in verse 4, he said, For God commanded saying. And this commandment was mentioned in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy also. So God considered that the five books of Moses is written by God. Although Moses is the one who wrote them, but because Moses wrote them by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then actually he did not say, Moses instructed you, but he said, God commanded you. So when we read actually the Old Testament and the New Testament, we read the scripture, we should know that we are reading the commandment of God. It is not written by Mark or Luke or Matthew or John, Yes, these are the writers, but each of these writers wrote and inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he told them, but now you excused yourselves 
from honoring your parents if you give to the temple this money that you should help your parents with so the Lord said this is just you are using this as an excuse in order to release yourself from your obligation to honor your parents and the leaders of Israel were encouraging them encouraged them to do this because the money at the end will come to the temple and they will have this money so there is here love of money and a lot of uh, greed but the Lord actually is hinting to them the proper application of that commandment the commandment of honoring our parents is actually to take care of our parents and if they need financial support it is our responsibility to support them financially unfortunately many couples they fight with each other if one spouse found the other spouse is helping his parents or her parents and many times our parents are in real need but we don't support them and we fight with each other although it is in our ability to support them and to honor them actually in first timothy chapter 5 saint paul said if there is a widow and this widow has why widow because widow means she doesn't have a husband to support her so if this widow has children or granted children let the children and granted children support their mother or grandmother and thus they don't burden the church St. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 5 because if the children and the granted children refused to support their mother or their grandmother then actually who will be burdened with this responsibility the church but St. Paul said no you should take care of your parents and grandparents so the church will be able to support those who are in real need to support those who are in real need so here's the point that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, explained to them how they put the tradition of men and the teaching of men in, in a higher position than the commandment of God and by keeping the tradition of men they actually are violating the commandment of God that's why he called them hypocrites as we read in verse 7 hypocrites will did Isaiah prophesy about you saying these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandment of men teaching as doctrine the commandment of men he called them hypocrites because they considered themselves teachers of the law while they are violators of the law they violate the law of God and actually in the gospel of Matthew the word hypocrites was repeated actually 14 times because the main sin of the religious leader of Israel 
was hypocrisy. And when he said, Isaiah prophesied about you, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Isaiah, when he wrote this prophecy, actually, he was speaking about the people in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so, in quoting this passage, what charge does Jesus level against the Pharisees? who see themselves as a strict observer of the law of God. What charge? Actually, he charged them by putting emphasis on human tradition more than the commandment of God. And thus, they are not worshipping God properly because they don't obey the commandment of God. So their worship to God is a lip service. It comes only from their lips. But their heart actually is breaking the commandment of God. That's why he said, In vain they worship me. When we don't follow God with our hearts, and we come to the church and worship or chant and, and participate in the hymns of the church like deacons, God will say, This is a lip service, not a service by heart. If we are focusing on chanting more than praising God with our hearts, it is a lip service. It is not a service uh, acceptable by, by God because this chanting comes from our lips, not coming from our hearts. So the Lord is teaching us today that the essential uh, true Worship or the essence of the true worship is that to worship God wholeheartedly. That we worship Him with spirit. We worship Him with zeal. We worship Him by our hearts, not by our lips when we obey His commandment. After this, actually, the Lord Jesus Christ switched from talking to the Pharisees to talk to the multitude. So from verse 1 to verse 9, he was speaking with the Pharisees, answering their question. From verse 10, then actually he directed his talk to the multitude. Why he directed his talk to the multitude here? Because the accusation of Pharisees could confuse simple people. And they may actually be offended in the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples by considering them transgressors of the law. So in order to remove any offense, in order to remove any confusion, now he will explain the point of washing the hands. So in verse 10, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Now he is clearing any confusion. He is clearing this offense that the scribes and Pharisees caused. He told them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. He explained to them that whatever we eat, 
does not actually defile us. The main source of defilement or the main source of pollution is what comes out of the heart, not what enters into the mouth. So he he told them, you need to be watchful, not to what goes into your mouth, but what comes out of your heart. Uh, what comes into our mouth, it will go through the digestive system and actually it will pass out. But what, what, what comes from our heart? Actually, all the sinful thoughts, envy, lustful thoughts, greed, judgment, negative criticism, all these things comes out of our heart. And when actually comes out of our heart, this will defile us. Uh, the disciples apparently did not understand, even the twelve disciples. So we read in verse 12 that his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they, they heard this saying, so the Pharisees were sitting on the side and heard what Jesus was teaching the multitude. And he told them, don't worry, not what goes into the mouth will defile you, but what comes out of the mouth will defile you. So the, the Pharisees were offended by the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the disciples reported this to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord replied and said, he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders, blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Now actually, why the disciples were concerned about the Pharisees? As I told you, the Pharisees were considered the greatest religious leader in Israel. So actually, they had high authority. And they were esteemed very high by the Jewish people. So, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ were concerned that if the Pharisees get offended they may actually plan to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ or actually kill him because also they have very powerful political uh, position so they reported this to the Lord Jesus Christ but the Lord actually comforted them he told them don't worry about them and actually, he brought to their attention the parable that he mentioned in Matthew chapter 13 about the wheat and tar, tares. The wheat were planted by God, and the tares were planted by Satan, by an enemy, Satan. So he told them, these religious leaders are not planted by God. They are planted by Satan. 
they are not planted by God. And if he is telling them, and if you remember in the parable of the tears, these tears actually were removed and uprooted because they are not planted by God. Don't worry. In the same manner, these actually uh, blind religious leaders, the hypocrites will be uprooted. So don't afraid them. Don't be fear, uh, afraid of them. Don't fear them. And he told them, also they are blind. And when a blind actually walks without nobody guiding him, he will fall into a ditch. What about if this blind became a leader? And also he is leading blinds. So when a blind leads a blind, both of them actually will fall into ditch. That's why as if he is telling them, don't follow them. Because if you follow them, you will fall into ditch with them. They are blind because of their pride. They are blind because of their pride and hypocrisy. But their followers they are blind because of their ignorance. So here actually we have two different types of blindness. The blindness of the religious leader is because of their pride and because of their hypocrisy. But the blindness of their followers is because of their ignorance. So the Lord is telling them, don't follow a blind leader. Don't follow a blind leader otherwise you fall into ditch with him this reminds me with the teaching of Saint John Climacus Saint John Climacus said search very well to find a spiritual father lest you fall in a hand of sick person rather than uh, a, a true spiritual father and after you find your true spiritual father don't doubt him so in the beginning you need to search well until you find a true father not a blind leader because if you will follow a blind leader you will fall into a ditch with him but after you find this father stick to him because Satan will cast a doubt into your heart about him don't actually follow these doubts. This is the teaching of St. John Climacus. So the Lord told them they will be uprooted, not only them, but also their doctrines also will be uprooted. Let them alone. Let them alone means don't follow them. Don't waste your time in actually discussing with them or dialoguing with them. Not because we don't care about them or about their repentance, but because of their pride, they are stubborn. They don't listen. They argue and argue and argue without listening. And actually, this is the style of a prideful person. When you talk to a prideful person, he doesn't want to listen. He just wants to give you an instruction what you need to do, but he doesn't listen. And when you tell him something true, they will be, he will be offended. 
exactly like the Pharisees. The Pharisees, when they heard the true teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, they became offended. Then actually, he started to explain to the disciple what did he mean by not what enters into the mouth defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. Verse 15, Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. The Lord actually was surprised that the disciples did not understand what he meant by when he said not what enters the mouth does not defile a person but what comes out of the mouth defiles a person so he said to uh, Peter after all these years you are living with me uh, hearing my teaching seeing my miracles until now you don't understand what this parable means so actually the Lord st start to explain to them the difference between ritual defilement and moral defilement or spiritual defilement the ritual defilement if you don't wash your hand you will be defiled according to the tradition of men but what is spiritual defilement? Actually, it whatever comes from your heart. Because the heart actually is the seat of corruption. So, any sin, any sin, you will not commit it in action unless you accept it first in your heart and in your mind. If you don't accept the sin in your heart and in your mind, you will not do it. So, any sin starts first in your heart and in your mind. So, we need to keep our hearts clean. And when we keep our hearts clean, then we will be clean. The Lord mentioned only seven vices or seven sins if you count them they are seven but these seven sins do not include all the sins uh, that are mentioned in the scripture but the Lord actually mentioned this seven because seven is a perfect number to refer to the whole commandments of God Breaking any commandment from the commandment of God 
will defile a person. Breaking any commandment from the commandment of God will defile the person. Because it is a violation to the law of love. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So, it is my heart which makes me either sinful or pure. Because as I explained, the first, uh, the first step in any sin is to be accepted by your heart. That's why Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 spoke about how the heart can be the source of uncleanness. If we go to Jeremiah chapter seven, chapter seventeen and verse nine, he said, "The heart is deceitful." above all things and desperately wicked who can know it the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it but thanks be to God as we read in the following verse that God actually is the one who searches the heart I the Lord search the heart I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his doing that's why let's ask God who is the searcher of our heart to search our heart and to cleanse us from any defilement as we read in Psalm 139 David says God searches my heart and see if there is any wicked way in me and grant me way everlasting. Search my heart and see if there is any wicked way in me and grant me way everlasting. After this actually, verse 21, then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon is outside Jerusalem, outside Israel. So he went to another country here. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. So Tyre and Sidon were two principal cities of Venetia on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Tyre was about 20 miles south of Sidon and about 100 miles in a straight line northwest of Jerusalem. In the days of King David and his son Solomon, Tyre was the leading seaport of the world. Tyre was taken after this by the Babylonians, Persians, and Alexander, the Greek, but up to the time of Christ, 
it remained a great commercial city. But after this, actually, uh, its harbor has been filled with sand, and now actually you see, you see just shadow of some ruins. You don't see this, these cities anymore. Both cities are cities of the Gentiles, not Jewish or Israelites. And this is the only instance in the Lord's ministry when he went beyond the bounds of Palestine. From his the time he started his ministry at the age of 30, this is the only time he went outside Palestine. Of course, in his childhood, he went to Egypt. Then actually, St. Matthew describing a woman of Canaan. But if you read the Gospel of St. Mark, St. Mark described this woman as Syro-Venetian, not a woman of Canaan. So there is no dis discrepancy here between both of them. Like, we are Egyptian, but we live in America. So maybe somebody can describe us as Egyptians, or somebody else can describe us as Americans. So this woman, if we speak about uh, her ancestors, she is the descendant of Canaan. The descendant of Canaan. But because she was dwelling here in Venetia, that's why St. Mark called her Syro-Venetian. So there is no contradiction or discrepancy between the two accounts in Matthew and in Mark. She approached the Lord and asked him to heal her, her daughter. And I want you to notice that she called him son of David. And for a Gentile to know son of David, this means she knew the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And also she heard about Jesus. And actually she believed that he is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the prophecies. That's why she called him son of David. Son of David. And in the Gospel of St. Matthew, uh, the brightest examples of faith, we see them in two Gentiles. One was the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, and the other one is this Canaanite woman. This woman repeated her request three times, but the Lord actually did not answer her. Did not answer her. Verse 23, but he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. Send her away does not imply heal her daughter and send her away. No, just tell her, mind your business, go away from me, depart from me. Because he didn't like this noise. She is making, you know, noise around them. But the Lord answered, he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So here actually, why the Lord did not consider her request? Why he did not answer immediately? The Lord told us, ask 
and you shall receive. Knock and it will, it will be opened to you. Why? He kept her crying after him. At least for two reasons. The first reason, to give her opportunity to exercise her faith. And the more to exercise her faith, she will grow in her faith. And the second reason, to manifest to us her actually faith, her zeal, her fervent spirit. So, she will be a great model for us to follow. So, the Lord in his heart intended to show mercy to her and to heal her daughter. But he was just waiting. Waiting for her to exercise her faith and also to teach us an example in humility, in humbleness, and also in faith. Uh, and when the disciples asked the Lord to send her away, he did not actually respond or agreed to the request of the disciples. But he told her clearly, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this actually goes with the prophecy of Ezekiel in chapter 34 that the Messiah will come to the lost sheep of Israel. So, as we read in the Gospel of, of St. John, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That's why in the first commission, when he sent the 12 disciples, he gave them very clear instruction. Don't go to a city of Samaritans. Don't go to a way of the Gentiles. But go only to the lost sheep of Israel. Why is that? In the beginning of his ministry, it was actually very reasonable that the Lord start with the lost sheep of Israel. Actually, it's very reasonable before going outside to pay attention to your own house, to your children, before going outside, as the Lord said, and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So this is the first step. Also, it would be impossible to evangelize to the Gentiles without setting aside the Jewish custom. And if he set aside the Jewish customs during his ministry, this actually will uh, arouse bitterness and prejudice among the Jews. You can see how they judged the Lord Jesus Christ and considered him blasphemer because he did not keep the Sabbath, because his disciples did not wash their hand. What if uh, he actually set aside all the Jewish tradition? That's why there was, there was a time planned to set aside the Jewish tradition. What was this time? The time of crucifixion. As St. Paul explained in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. 
the Lord himself fulfilled the law as he said to John the Baptist we ought to fulfill all the righteousness of the law then he crucified the handwriting of the ordinance of the ordinances in the cross and he nailed them on the cross as we read in Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 and the wall of partition between us and God and also the wall of partition between the Jews and the Gentiles were actually knocked down were broken down now he, he united the people of Israel with the peoples of Gentiles he united this and that that's why in the great commission after his resurrection from the death he asked the disciples to preach the gospel to all nations to the whole world so there are two commissions the first commission only to the lost sheep of Israel but after his resurrection he sent the disciples to preach the gospel to the whole world so how this Gentile woman responded to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel then she came and worshipped him saying Lord help me but he answered and said it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs and she said yes Lord yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall down which fall from their master's table so here actually she came and worshipped him worshipped him maybe she believed that he is the messiah so worshipped him as God or maybe she worshipped him out of reverence and respect and she pleaded with him Lord help me Lord help me I need your help I am begging you to heal my daughter she is demon possessed and here actually a great lesson to us this woman was not discouraged by the Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ but she came and repeated his plea with him with zeal and with fervent spirit the Lord wanted to test her faith and also to show us how great the faith of this woman was so he told her actually it is not good to give the bread of the children to the dogs dogs were unclean animals according to the Jewish law and the Jews referred to the Gentiles as dogs unfit for worship or sacrifice and uh, in the book of Revelation we read that outside heavenly Jerusalem all the sinners and dogs 
Of course, in, in eternal life, there will be no animals. So the word dogs here does not refer to animals. But the word dogs here refer to the unbelievers. Also in Philippians, St. Paul said, watch dogs. Actually, he is saying, watch out for the non-believers. That's what he meant. And in the Sermon on the Mountain, when the Lord said, don't throw your purse to the dogs, it's the same meaning here. And what is the children of the bread? Is, sorry, the bread of the children. Actually, it is a communion. That's why the non-believers cannot partake of the communion. The non-believers cannot partake of the communion because this is the bread of the children. Uh, and the Lord here, here humbled her in order to show her great faith. Actually, a proud heart or unhumbled heart, arrogant heart, would not accept the word of Jesus Christ. But actually, this woman, because she was humble, that's why she turned this statement of rebuke into an argument to support her request. Because of her humbleness, she turned this statement of rebuke into an argument to support her request. And she told him, I know I am not worthy of the bread of the children. I know this very well. But I'm not looking for the bread of the uh, children. I know I'm not worthy. But even I, I like the crumbs that fall down from the table of my master. So this woman actually is a, a very, very good example to us in humbleness, in persistence, and also in uh, faith. She is a great example to us in humbleness, in faith, and in her persistence. She agreed with what the Lord said, and she accepted heartily the words of, of God. She did not tell him, I'm offended by what you said. But in a clever reply, she told him, even the little dogs eat the, the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And she is suggesting here that the Gentiles will eat, will be fed by God, as the Jews also are fed by God. The Jews and the Gentiles, both of them are fed by God. Uh, as if she is saying, I am not a Jew, therefore I know that I am not sitting at the table, but all I ask for is the crumbs that fall off the table. Then actually the Lord complimented her. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from 
that very hour. Here the Lord complimented her and he, he did what he intended to do from the beginning. But he delayed his response in order to set her an example for us to learn from her. So, when we ask something from God and if God did not respond immediately or innocently, even when we know that we are unworthy, let us not get discouraged, but let us actually be persistent and approach God in a humble way, acknowledging our unworthiness, but we are looking for His mercy. As we say in the Divine Liturgy, uh, not according to our sins, but according to, to your mercy. And also, there is an audible prayer by the priest. It's called the prayer of the veil. In this prayer, Abuna says, because we do not rely on our righteousness, but we rely on your mercy, by which you revive it, our race. So, we can see the greatness of the faith of this woman, how she came to Christ under difficulties when her daughter was demon-possessed. She persevered when her prayer seemed to be denied. She insisted and persisted on her request. She still pleaded when obstacles were presented, when the Lord told her, you know, I am sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And also she waited at the feet of the Lord until he had mercy when he told her it is not good to take the bread of the children to be given to the dogs. Yes, such great faith always prevails. Such great faith always prevails. Verse 29, Then Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. It was a custom of the Lord Jesus Christ to go to the mountain, either actually for retreat, just to have a quiet time, or to pray to the Father, or actually to teach the multitude. That's why he goes to uh, a quiet place. Maybe he went to Tyre and Sidon as a quiet place outside Palestine. But when he did this miracle, his fame started to spread in Tyre and Sidon. That's why he said, no, I want time by myself. So he left Tyre and Sidon and went to the mountain to have time by himself. But as usual, great multitude came to him as we read in verse 30. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, 
the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. Here actually the multitude came and they brought their sick people and put them at the feet of Jesus trusting that he will have compassion on them. And the Lord was a very compassionate uh, person. His heart was full of compassion. That's why he came to heal them. And he healed all of them, fulfilling the prophecies about him in the Old Testament. These Jews, most probably, they were living on the border of Tyre and Sidon. So they are Jewish people but living on the border. That's why maybe they were influenced by the pagan teaching of the Gentiles. That's why we read here they glorified God of Israel. Why they called God here God of Israel? They are Israelites. But as I told you, most prob probably they were influenced by pagan teaching because they were living on the border. That's why they said, yes, indeed, this is God of Israel, the God whom our forefathers Abraham and Isaac and Jacob praised. So they glorified God, they praised God, and they worshipped him. Verse 32. Now Jesus called the disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Apparently, this great multitude stayed with the Lord Jesus Christ in the mountain for three days. And three days in the mountains, they have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? This, the same story here was mentioned in the Gospel of St. Mark chapter 8. Uh, actually in, in ch uh, chapter 14 he fed 5,000 and now he is feeding 4,000 so there is a lesson here that so, those who follow Christ will never be in need if we follow Christ we will never be in need whether spiritual need or physical need God actually will satisfy all our needs as he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Uh, and here you can see the compassion of God. Uh, he told them, I don't, send, I don't want to send them away, lest they faint on the way. But the disciples asked him, how can we feed such great number? especially we are in wilderness. And maybe the word wilderness here reminded them with the wilderness of Sinai when God fed the Israelites 40 years 
in the wilderness of Sinai with the manna which came down from heaven. So maybe there is a link between this uh, miracle and the miracle of sending the manna from heaven. But how come the disciples, after they, they actually watched the miracle of feeding 5,000 from uh, five loaves and two fish, how actually they ask such, such a question? Actually, I don't think, I don't think they ask a question in ignorance. But they are telling them as if they are saying, God, we cannot actually, we don't have enough food, but we have you with us. And you can actually feed the multitude as you fed the multitude from five loaves and two fish. I don't think they forgot what happened before, uh, but they uh, suggesting that the Lord Jesus Christ will exercise his power and feed the multitude here. Then the Lord actually, uh, verse 33, uh, 34, Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men beside women and children. And he sent away the multitude, uh, got into the boat and came to the region of Magdala. So, here actually, the Lord knew what he would do. Although they have only uh, seven, loaves of, of bread, uh, seven loaves of bread and just a few fish, but he asked in authoritative way to let the multitude sit down. Why? Everything actually, when it will be in order, it, it actually will go smoothly. And 4,000 men, other women and children, so we can say, at least there are 15 to 16,000, maybe more. If each man has wife and two children, or speak about 16,000. And can you imagine how to feed 16,000? If they are not organized, if they did not sit in order, it's impossible to feed 16,000 person. But they feed them quickly because they were organized. And here God actually took the bread and loaves and he gave thanks to teach us to be thankful even what we have is very little because what they had was very little seven loaves and few fish to feed such a great multitude many times when we have when we see what we have is little we complain that's why there is no blessing but if we learn how to be thankful, even when what we have is so little, God will bless what's little. And this little will be more than enough. And actually, 
He gives the disciples, the disciples gave the multitude, and everybody was filled. And they were satisfied. Not only they were filled, but when they collected the fragment, actually uh, the fragment filled, filled seven baskets. And there is a lesson here for all of us. God doesn't like to waste anything. So we need to be careful not to waste. Actually, many of us, we waste a lot of blessings that God gave us. Whether we waste our time or waste our money or we waste our food, but collecting the fragment is a lesson to all of us to be careful and not to waste. And apparently this miracle is a different miracle or a distinct miracle from the first miracle in which he fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. Uh, and here we can assume that some of the Gentiles who heard the miracle of the healing of the daughter of the Canaanite woman followed the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why many church fathers uh, compared between the two miracles. And said the first miracle actually is about the Old Testament. This miracle is about the New Testament. First miracle, five loaves, five thousand. Five loaves and five thousand, the number five represent the five books of the law. So this about the Jewish people. And the two fish either represent the two tablets that God gave to Moses or represent the law and the prophet. These are the two fish that fed the Israelite. The Israelite were fed by two fish, the law and the prophet or the two tablets of the commandment. But this miracle is about the Gentiles, the New Testament. Why the Gentiles? Here the numbers are four and seven. Number four is the four direction of the earth, north, south, east, and west. And seven actually there were seven nations they were dwelling in the promised land and when Israel entered in the promised land they kicked seven nations and now actually these seven nations are accepted back to be people of God so this is the number seven the seven loaves of, of flesh number seven also symbolizes the seven sacraments of the church in the New Testament what about the little fish? Little fish represent the disciples. Uh, the Lord told them, you are fishermen, but now I will make you fishers of men. So these are the disciples who went all over the world, in the sea of the world, actually to catch the Gentiles to the net of Christ. In the first miracle, they gathered 12 baskets. 
the 12 number 12 represent the 12 tribe of Israel but here they gathered seven baskets that is the church of the New Testament seven sacraments or the seven nations that were kicked out from the promised land uh, when Israel entered the promised land so this miracle uh, symbolizes acceptance of the Gentiles into the church of God and uh, they become people of God also the two miracles represent the Eucharist God is feeding us on his body and his blood not physical food but spiritual food when we eat his body and drink his blood given for us for salvation remission of sins and eternal life to those who partake of him so yes we eat him physically but the action is uh, or the effect is spiritual when we eat physically the body and blood of Jesus Christ the action or the effect of communion and Eucharist is spiritual given for salvation remission of sin and eternal life after this miracle he went to Magdala actually we don't know this reason Magdala we don't know uh, what it is right now maybe it is on the west side of the sea of Galilee uh, some people or some scholars of the Bible they believe it is uh, the same city from where Saint Mary of the Magdalene came the disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, Saint Mark actually named Magdala Dalmanutha but also Dalmanutha is a known name uh, uh, now currently uh, but if it is the city of Saint Mary uh, Magdalene then it was a center for fishing and fish packing this concludes uh, chapter 15 in which we see uh, we, we learn it together about tradition of men with a small t uh, versus the holy tradition with capital T and I explained this at the beginning we uh, saw the compassion of God on this Canaanite woman and how he healed her daughter and also the compassion of, of God on the multitude and how he fed them by the uh, seven loaves and little fish glory be to God forever and ever Amen